Welcome to the Make Think podcast series, where we aim to nurture future-focused education and support individuals and teams seeking a continuous approach to learning. I'm here with Michael. How are you going, Michael? Really well, thanks. Um, yeah, it's been a long day at school, but really looking forward to listening to our guest speaker, Dan Hasler, um, and especially around the theme around engagement and growth mindset. I know he has a wealth of knowledge around that and can't wait to hear what he has to say. What about you? Yeah, really looking forward to Dan talking about his experience where I know he always has lots of stories about both education and then other areas outside of the sector. So how does he tie in his learning from corporate sport um, to really focus that into how we can learn from an education point of view? Awesome. Well, let's get Mr. Dan Hasler online and, and have a chat. Hi, Dan. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Loud and clear. That's getting better. Loud and clear. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> Looks very professional there, boys. How are you, mate? I'm well, Darren. How are you? Good, good. Whereabouts are you? Where am I? I'm actually in my bedroom at home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which makes a nice change. <laughs> and how are you? What have you been up to, Dan? Oh, uh, well, what have I been up to? That's a good question. It seems to change every week. Um, yeah, I've been doing, um, obviously, the, the few conferences and the conference stuff really fires up for us. Um, like May and June, it gets really busy just in conferences, but doing a lot of leadership stuff with schools, leadership stuff with um, corporates, and we're doing a lot in um, sport. So doing a lot of work in and around the NRL and with tennis, and um, I'm actually working with the uh, Winter Olympic team, actually, in um, a few weeks. So it's been quite interesting to see all around the stuff around mindset and engagement, but just obviously in different contexts. So, yeah, it's been interesting to see how um, what essentially started off as just talking about kids, <laughs> really, uh, applies to so many people in different settings. So it's quite exciting to continually try and, you know, uh, push, you know, um, push the thinking and say okay well this applies in a primary school does it apply in a high school yep does it apply in a corporate setting yep okay does it apply in a in a sporting organization yep you know so yeah that's been that's been exciting to to do that so when you talk about mindset dan when it's in a school setting or with a, a football team or corporate is the message the same or do you do you have a slightly different message depending on the sector yeah, so the, I mean, the mindset, you know, the mindset message. So, a growth mindset is essentially the belief you can improve. Um, so, when you then put that to, um, you know, in a, in a classroom or a corporate setting, you know, there's that you're basically weighing up the the um, that that belief system that people either think they can't improve or they don't need to improve. So really, if you take that as the as the base of what we talk about, then of course that can apply no matter what room you walk into. You'll find people who believe they can't improve and people who feel they don't need to improve. And so then it's about contextualizing it um, as as appropriate, right? So what are the teaching strategies? What are the coaching strategies? What are the um, how, how do they set up the um, for example, the performance reviews in a corporate setting or the incentive schemes or whatever, all that stuff goes into, I guess, the, those two pieces that I spoke about before, the mindset. So mindset is believing you can improve or need or you need to improve and engagement is wanting to improve. So if you can get both of those things kind of humming along, 
whether you're in a primary classroom or a you know working with the Dally M winner, um, it's you know that's quite a, it's it's the, the the premise is the same, but the context is different. So we um, look at the, those some key behaviours. So, for example, let's say um, so the Dally M winner is a good example. So um, Roger Tuivasa-Shek. So last month was in Auckland working with the the, the Warriors. And we, we spoke about the different uh, behaviours that you see. And then I basically throw it over to them to say, so for example, um, a fixed mindset is one in which, you know, you probably don't, you, you only want feedback if it's glowing, right? Whereas in a growth mindset, you only want feedback if it's useful. And so, so if you have those two ends as the, as the, the polar ends, if you like, most of us fall um, somewhere between the two. And if I ask somebody, how well do you receive feedback? A lot of people will say something along the lines of, well, it depends who it's from. Depends who's giving the feedback. Even if the feedback is verbatim, you know, the same, yeah. they'll, dis they'll determine whether it's worth listening to that feedback based on who it's coming from. And so when you are regarded as the best footballer in the world, or certainly in in, us, in the NRL, um, you'll obviously receive feedback ad nauseum, yes, from your from your coach, from the national coach, from the media, and from anyone with a Twitter account. And so, being able to um, filter through that and recognise how do you take the feedback and how do you how do you decide what is useful and and because obviously you're not going to take every opinion into account but then other things like recognizing when you're ready to take on feedback and and in in the case of some of the footballers it's it's you know getting them to recognize um how when's the best time for them to take on feedback? So I'll give you an example. Again, not this one isn't from the Warriors, but an example along the lines of um, they often do video reviews. And a lot of them walk into that video review hoping that they it's almost like the highlights of their game. Yeah, They want the coach to show publicly in front of the rest of the team the things they did well. But how useful is that? Well, it's arguable, but... How many of those players walk in hoping the coach spots something that they didn't even know they did wrong? And that mindset is one, obviously, which would encourage you to become a better player. And, and so if you've got people around you who, you who you are hoping will pick up things that you didn't even notice, that's the kind of things which separate these players. So in, that, in a high-performance environment, that, that's a, a, a subtle way that separates the good from the great and the great from the, the ones we always, you know, will talk about forever kind of thing. So, yeah, that's, and, and you can imagine it's the same, the same, that's premise is the same, whether it's working with kids in classrooms or whether it's working with a teacher in a, you know, an annual check-in to see how they're going on their professional learning goals. That premise is the same. Am I hoping that you're going to just tell me how good I am or am I going in hoping that you're going to help me get better? Um, and obviously, if someone's going to help you get better, that often requires constructive feedback. It often requires someone who picks up on something that you didn't even notice. And obviously, that can be a challenge. 
And I'd love to hear from you a little bit about what's been the biggest change that you've seen as you've grown up in this life of, of helping to work with people. You do a lot of leadership work. You do a lot around um, mindset. What's been that biggest change that you've seen through your adult life now? And then even if you can crystal ball into the future, what do you think can, is going to continue to change into the future in this educational world that we live in? Okay, so what are the changes I've seen? Um, if I, I've, not as, I've not seen the cha- as much change as you might um, expect. And I think that's, it's almost a cliche to say it now, but you, know, you can walk into a lot of classrooms and they still look as they did when I was yep. at school. Now, I'm not actually, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing per se. And the reason I don't think it's a bad thing per se is because the way in which you win at education, the way you win at school, uh, you can still do it the old way, right? Because the way you win is do good, get good scores, get your good ATAR or whatever the equivalent is, wherever you study, and go into further on. The problem with this, of course, is that it misses the opportunities and it misses the fact that actually, you know, this. That, that system works well for kids who go to uni, right? Um, but a heck of a lot of kids either don't go to uni or don't necessarily need to or maybe not even should go to uni. And so there's a lot of missed opportunities there to help engage kids at, the, at this level. So some of the changes I have seen which are um, positive are, I guess, um, increasing um, connections with, um, uh, you know, people from outside of the education system, so mentors from the community, um, approaches like big picture learning. I was just chatting, one of my colleagues was actually chatting with um, a principal at a school in southwest Sydney where, um, you know, they've set up this system where they've got mentors from all different walks of life in the school. Another school that I heard speak at National Future Schools last, last month was they they've got a like a um a share space a share workspace um you know on on campus where local businesses or startups can come in and use their infrastructure their webs you know the uh, internet access and you have a space in return for mentoring their students in whatever field that they happen to uh, be in whether it's design or marketing or or whatever so i'm seeing i see really cool pockets of innovation like that but i think until we get rid of this until we stop being beholden i guess to this idea of um uni is the the end goal for all kids i'm not sure there's really an imperative for a lot of schools to change too much um because that's a risk um so that's that, that that's what I've seen. What I'm crystal balling is that maybe you know a lot of people smarter than me are suggesting that the the ATAR might be you know on it on its way out to some degree. I mean, some universities like Swinburne University, for example, will take kids without an ATAR, you know, based on a portfolio yeah. of work. Um, and I think uh, you know, there was a, a great um, initiative last year in New Zealand. A load of companies uh, wrote an open letter to New Zealand um, to talk about um, you know re- rethinking um, education in terms of you know these micro uh, certifications and various types of different ways. So well well outside the mainstream, so to speak, to try and say look, there's a load of 
opportunities for people to engage in learning, which doesn't necessarily have to happen in what we might consider that traditional sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, crystal balling, who knows? I mean, I, I can't for the life of me understand why school is still the way it is, um, other than it doesn't need to change yeah. <laughs> because the system that we, uh, we, we, the system that we succeed through school as hasn't changed. So I guess why, why would, why would you change the mechanics of yeah, it? Fantastic. So if, can I pick up on engagement for a second? Mm. If, if I'm walking through a school, what does authentic engagement look like? Do, are there telltale signs that you look for when you're visiting a site? Yeah. Great question. So, um, broadly speaking, um, we we think so. The team I work with and, and um, we conceptualize or we think of engagement very much through the lens of self determination theory. So self determination theory posits that for someone to be authentically engaged, they need to be intrinsically motivated, which um, requires a level of autonomy and agency. So that would look like people doing different things, right? Yeah. Um, but as, doing things under their own um, direction and of their own volition. Obviously, within a, within a framework of something, right? So they're not, it's not anarchy, yeah. but um, they, have cert, they have a voice, they have a choice in what they do. It looks like people who are not in their comfort zones. So it, it's, um, the second pillar is of self-determination theory is this idea of competence or mastery. So people who have got an understanding of, of what they can do, an understanding of what they can't do, and they're working in that space between the two. So, you know, you might refer to it as the stretch zone or a guy, uh, James Nottingham talks about the idea of the learning pit where you yeah. take people from being comfortable and, and stress them to, you know, and stress isn't a negative, but stress them to a point where they're not quite sure but and, and help them or scaffold it in a way that they can get to the, the next point. Um, and the third one is that, a purpose or a meaning so to be authentically engaged you've got to know the why and the why typically has to be more than because the teacher told me i had to or it's going to be on the test yep. so if i ask if i walk through um, and i stop and ask a group of kids why are they doing something they can talk about how it um, relates to the world in a bigger sense than just the next six two weeks and it's going to, and they're going to be assessed on it and then they'll never think of it again or um you know or it's because the teacher told us to yep. now those three those three um uh, ideas are what we consider the pillars of engagement but those pillars have to be built on a foundation of belonging so um what i mean by that is it's impossible for anybody to engage in learning or engage in a collaborative initiative if they don't feel like they belong in that room or if they don't feel they belong with the people around them. So in a school setting, you know, that idea of kids actually feeling valued, respected, trusted, uh, cared for on campus for me, that's the fund. It's just a no-brainer, and yet, often we don't spend enough time considering that. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about engagement, we think about pedagogy, we think about technology, we think about the latest apps or the latest this, that, and the other. Um, and my, I always say, well, if kids don't feel like they belong in your classroom, that's got to be one hell of an app 
if it's going to engage them. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's how we conceptualize it. And that's what we're looking for when we talk about engagement and the same goes in the staff room, by the way, and the same goes in a corporate boardroom or in a, or in a sports scene. Yeah. I was just going to say it's exactly the same for staff. Staff need to understand that compelling why and, and everything that you've just outlined in exactly the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's amazing. And often, um, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm I'm not out to bag schools, right? I'm not out to bag education. But it, it, it surprises me sometimes how much time and effort we spend talking about the learning of kids in schools but we don't spend enough time reflecting on the learning of the adults. We, we think, well, yep. we'll just, you know, we'll talk about something once a term perhaps, or, um, you know, or we'll do a, we'll do a PD, you know, personal development review once a year, you know, a teacher. I, I, we work with some teachers who say they can't remember the last time they had feedback on their, um, on the, on the way they do their job, yep. which in, in an environment, you could almost excuse that in a, in a, in a business which didn't have learning at, at its core. But, but in schools, you think, wow, that's, that's an interesting um, situation you have because we're, you know, we talk about being lifelong learners. We talk about all this stuff, and yet it seems to be only for the little people and not the, not the adults, which yep. I think we need to consider. This podcast is brought to you by the Make Things Spark Conference, held between July 10th to July 12th, 2019. Want to learn more about how to engage with future-focused learning? Jump on to makethink.com.au for more information. Here's, here's the thing about engagement, right? Kids, kids are naturally engaged in life in, in, until adults tell them not to be. But what I mean by that is... It, it, kids will be walking in a supermarket, right? And they'll see a kid, they'll see someone wearing a hijab, or they'll see somebody with um, a different uh, outfit, or they look different, right? And the kids will stare, or the kids will ask, "Mum, why is he wearing that? Why does he speak mm. like this?" And what do the adults say? Be quiet. Don't, Don't be stare. rude. Don't stare. And we take these questions away from them. And the reason we do that is we don't know, <laughs> right? The, I don't know. I don't know why they wear a hijab. I've got my westernized, you know, my white man's version of why uh, they wear a hijab. But I don't bloody know. But uh, So I'll either say I don't know or I'll give a crap version of it. Imagine if adults just shut up <laughs> and these kids could just talk amongst themselves about these things. And I, I just wonder how many barriers could be broken down just by that sheer inquisitiveness that kids have. Um, you know, I, I, I just I heard someone say, and I can't I can't remember who it was, but someone said, you know, one of the first things we steal from kids is their questions. You know, we we decide what an important question. A kid asks a question in class, oh, that's not on the test. That's not important right now. That's not this. And I guess I know why, because we don't have the time or we don't know the answers or it's not important right here, right now. But <laughs> I've gone so off tangent, but this idea of technology, technology allows us to ask people who actually know, <laughs> right? Yeah. If we could get over ourselves, if we could get over ourselves. And I'll, I'll give you an example where it worked beautifully. Um, I've got a colleague called Cameron Patterson, uh, um, and he works at Shaw in, in, in Sydney. And he was telling me the story of when he connected a, um, 
a history class that he had with a class in Vietnam. And they were talking about the Vietnam War. And um, the kids in Vietnam were perplexed at this war that they'd never heard of. Right? And they're saying to these, what do you mean, the Vietnam War? Do you mean the American War? Right? And, then, and, and, this opened, and this opened this remarkable conversation between these kids about perspective and about empathizing mm. with other people's, you know, which I don't know if you get um, if you don't open those lines. And I'm, again, you know what? I don't know if they'll get any more marks in the H. The point is, I don't think they get any more marks in the HSC for, for talking about perspective of the, of the American War. And I wonder if that's why we don't do it more often, because you don't have to. But it, but it it'd be amazing for us to try. I think, yep. um, yeah. I really agree with you, Dan. And a point I'd like to pick up on is how do you then start looking at that evaluation of that informal or that self-directed learning, um, or should we just be letting the students fly and not letting the assessment get in the road of them really going out and and understanding that learning pathway that best suits them? Yeah. So. <laughs> Often when we're talking about these, because you think about it, we always start with the assessment front of mind, right? I, this is our assessment task. This is, so whether it's in New South Wales with the HSC or in, is it OPs in Queensland or whatever, you know, there's always the, the, the outcome, the, the, not even the outcome, the assessment of the outcome is, is kind of like up front of mind. And then we kind of backward map everything to that. An interesting way to consider it would be going the other way and, and sort of going, okay, well, what kind of experiences, what kind of learning would we like these kids to um, go on? What kind of, uh, um, you know, do we want them to be self-directed, self-managing, um, engaged members of the community? Do we want that? Well, if we want that, backward mapping from an assessment point of view is not going to get you there. You know, it, anything like that will happen in spite of our planning. Yeah, not mm. not because of it. Whereas what I like to consider, and I'm not saying I'm right, but what I like to consider is that if we get these things in place and we manage it carefully, then the assessment or a performance in the assessments will largely take care of themselves. The problem we have is that schools feel beholden to these assessments. So it's like, you know, we're going to, and I don't know what it's like at your school, but you know, when the first piece of marketing material that comes out usually tells me how good your kids do in their scores, you know, and, mm. and they'll be compared with other schools and, and, and the like. So it sort of makes it difficult to um, to challenge that status quo, to do anything other. You, you spoke about Peter Hutton before, you know, like the Temple Store. They, well, they, they actually had this big thing where you – know, Forget the ATAR. They actually had a front page. They had a story in the age where there was a picture. I think they have like a gravestone on the campus that says the ATAR, rest in peace, the ATAR, which is what, I, what I'm referring to where it's because it's, the ATAR is just it's something we made up, right? You know, it's, it's something that education just made up and the universities who made it and, it was, and it's to serve the universities. Mm. Um, and, and so when we start, planning from that point of view i think we miss a lot, lot of opportunities so things like big picture learning things like stuff that they were doing at temple Stowe, um and, and there's countless schools that are, are starting to look at it i think they're starting with the learning in mind not the assessment why is it and this is pretty superficial but why is it kids will spend hours and hours and hours 
playing video games um, and they give up a video they'll give up a video game when it gets too easy whereas in school they give up when things get too hard right so you know why is it kids play Fortnite and and, and adults obviously lose <laughs> lose the will to live at the mention of Fortnite but you know it's not because they're shooting their mates it's because there's a lot of that stuff I spoke about before, that self-determination theory, autonomy, mastery, purpose wrapped up in there. So we'll definitely have a little exploration of that and we'll we'll sort of dip into this idea that, um, and I'm sort of cribbing a little bit from my work with sport at the moment. I've, I've started, I've, I've realised that we're all in the peak performance business. You know, we're all, and that doesn't mean we're all trying to win. What it means is as educators, we're in the business of getting the best out of the kids that we have in front of us you know, not the kids we wished we had or the kids that we used to teach, you know, it's the, mm. it's the kids, it's the kids that we have in front of us. And we are in the peak performance business, trying to get them to be their best. And so if we look at the things that we know support that from engagement, and then we look at um, the idea of a, a growth mindset when it's appropriate to have a growth mindset, you know, that belief that can improve. And then we look at some of the strategies and pedagogies and tactics that we use in school which actually sometimes serve to undermine the very things we say we want you know so when we start rewarding compliance for example we we kill authentic engagement when we start rewarding um, kids for doing things that they can already do then where's the incentive to strive for more you know at the risk mm. of not getting that reward so um yeah we'll we'll certainly spend a bit of time and um on exploring that with a few provocations and um yeah hopefully have a some some good discussions around that actually and it will be great to hear you take that tact around engagement because many of the speakers, the overall theme of the conference is engagement and it will be great to see yeah. the different speakers coming from those different angles, whether it be a technology focus or something around mindset that, that really doesn't have anything, it doesn't have to be about technology. It's going to be great mm. to see lots of the different um, key presenters look at that focus of engagement through their own eyes. So yeah, we're really yeah. looking forward to having you at Make Think um, in July. It's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to coming. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to just have a talk to you about education, but other things larger than education, life itself. It's it's awesome yeah. to hear someone talk so passionately about so many different sectors, sport, corporate. Yeah. Um, and we're really looking forward to having you up on the Gold Coast in July. Um, mm. It's been a few years since I've seen you. I know Michael ran into you last week at, at Future Schools. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be really, really amazing to yeah work with you again. Um, and we're really looking forward to it. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you up there. All right. See you, mate. Cheers. Right. See ya. So that was our podcast with Dan Hasler. Michael, what, what did you take away from that time with Dan? Um, I guess my biggest takeaway is I cannot wait to hear him at our conference in July. Um, what he's doing with the professional sporting teams as well as his vision in education in general. Um, really feeling really inspired right now. What about you? Yeah, I really liked when he spoke about um, the compelling why and making sure that when we work with our students, they understand 
uh, where we're trying to help guide them, but also give them the freedom to, to make their own path. And I think that's the same for our teachers. Again, you also touched on making sure that we, we treat our teachers as the experts and having that freedom and autonomy to take that learning where they want to. So I found that really inspiring. And again, I can't wait to hear from him at the conference. And I know lots of people will be lining up to have that whole day masterclass experience with Dan, where they get to do a really deep dive into everything that he talks about with education. Yeah, I think in future too, I would love to pick his brain around more student-led learning because I think, um, you know, in the limited time, we sort of touched upon it but didn't really get there. Um, and I'm hoping that I can pick his brain around this masterclass um, around what does student-led learning look like. Mm. So that, that conference, Make Think Spark, um, in July the 11th. Um, you can find out more information at www.makethink.com.au. Um, it'd be great to see a large number of people there listening to Dan and everything that he has to share. Yeah, on top of Dan as well, we've got two international speakers. So um, I'm really looking forward to them as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time today, Michael. And um, we look forward to uh, talking again to another educator on our podcast series. Bye, everybody. This podcast is a Poly Studios production.